Every year in January uh, and February, we take six weeks to walk through the Christian story. Uh, From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, we will simply listen to the story, uh, read uh, like story time um, very much, uh, and then dialogue about it and how we, how the story hits us, how we feel about it, what we learn about God and ourselves and the world through uh, the story of God. It's one of my favorite rhythms. Um, It's uh, anchors my year in so many ways as we're thinking about New Year's resolutions and uh, what this year will hold to to begin from a place of uh, remembering what is true, uh, fundamentally true. Um, It was fun uh, this morning, uh, Shepard leaned over and asked, like, aren't we starting the story of God soon? Like, like for him, uh, as a 14-year-old, like, he has sat through that story every year for probably four or five years. Um, And it shapes, hopefully shapes him, it shapes me. I'm grateful for it. Uh, I encourage you to come next week. It starts. Um, And then also to invite friends of yours who might be curious. It doesn't require faith or even a Christian background. In fact, it's really uh, a better experience for us, uh, selfishly, if there's a diversity of perspectives in the room. And so I encourage you to invite uh, folks uh, to come. Uh, So that starts next Sunday, January 15th. It will go into February for six weeks. Uh, Georgia, Crystal, and I will be leading. Georgia will start next week uh, with it. Well, uh, for today, Laura Rue is our scripture reader, and she will be reading from the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. these words of mine and does not and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it this is God's word thanks be to God let's pray Dear Father, we are thankful for Jesus' teaching. Uh, We're thankful for the wisdom and um, power in it. We're thankful for its simplicity, um, how it uh, hits us. Um, And I pray for this parable in particular, that it would uh, impact our start to the year. It would shape us and challenge us as a church this morning and uh, into 2024. Uh, Would you be with us, though? Uh, We can't truly hear this uh, without your help. And so open our eyes and heart uh, to the truth of your word, uh, the truth of grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the past couple years, we've delayed the start of Story of God, and and generally that's just been to give people time to get back from travel, and also time to invite friends or remind friends that you invited them. It just gives a little space, whereas if we start uh, from the get-go, people miss the first week, and the first week is kind of one of the the funnest weeks uh, to start. It's an important week. Um, And so we've delayed it, and that has created space in our calendar for a kind of one-off sermon. Um, and we've typically used that to offer some kind of pastoral encouragement, just sort of prayerfully, like, oh, what, 
what do we want to start the year off? Uh, what's the, what's the, our word from the Lord uh, this year? Uh, two years ago, uh, Adam uh, preached this sermon, and he uh, defined discipleship as finding our home in Jesus, and that was really the first time that language had been used in our church, and that, that line eventually, as you know, like became part of our church's vision. It really resonated and stuck with us for about a year to the point where it became really core to who we are. Uh, last year, I spoke on spiritual gifts um, and God's purpose behind giving us those gifts and to include us in the process of designing and building God's home. So if we're finding our home in Jesus and then we learn that man, our gifts um, involve us in the design and building of God's home, which is our home, and um, was thankful for the fruit of that in so many gifts being expressed last year. As I prayed over Christmas about this year's uh, sermon um, and what church might look for look like for us in 2024, um, I couldn't shake the feeling that this year could be hard in some ways, um, and not really for our church directly. Um, I tell everyone I talk to, I, I, I promise this is true, I'm not just saying this up here, I, I tell them that Citizens is the loveliest community of people you'll ever find. Just a sweet um, community. It is a privilege to pasture you um, and to be a part. Um, it is a spiritual home for me, and I am very thankful for it. The Lord also continues to be so faithful to our church uh, to provide for us, giving us everything we need. I don't know if you saw in George's email, but we like destroyed our matching grant goal. We beat it by like $25,000, which is just so fantastic. And so thanks to you to give. Thanks to the Lord uh, for inspiring people to give in two months' time. Um, it's just amazing and encouraging. And uh, and I receive it as an encouragement from the Lord to like keep going, to press on, to, to continue on. Um, All together, God has built for us and through us a lovely spiritual home in San Francisco. It's warm and safe and joyful and hospitable. And so my concern or my sobriety around 2024 is not really about citizens itself. I'm excited about our year here. Outside the church, though, 2024 is sort of shaping up to be kind of a a bumpy ride, right? Like culturally, politically, globally even, it feels like there will be a storm brewing um, in so many places. Um, And of course, there are always incredibly hard things uh, going on in the world every year, near and far. Um, This year, though, with destabilizing wars in Ukraine and Gaza, the threat of violence over Taiwan, uh, faraway troubles could easily spill into um, our community and our, and our country and our city. And that would be a challenge at any time, but this year we have a presidential election, which should be uh, fun, right? Um, we have two less than ideal candidates. Um, I remember, um, I, don't, I debated whether to share this, uh, but I remember a South Park episode from 2004, um, the bush Kerry election when I was in college. And uh, in this episode, they were parroting Bush Carey, uh, and there were two candidates running to be the mascots of South Park Elementary. Anybody remember this? Um, And Stan, one of the characters, refuses to vote because the only two candidates on offer were literally a turd sandwich um, and a not-to-be-spoken-in-a-microphone personal hygiene product. Like, those were the two 
options, and the animators of South Park literally like drew a turd sandwich like behind a podium, like giving a speech. And um, College Dave thought it was so funny and just giggled <laughs> constantly. Um, Middle-aged Dave is just sad. <laughs> Because I would love to vote for a turd sandwich in 2024. Like, I, I, that's what I want. Um, and the thing is, I was realizing Bush and Kerry are still around, and they are the same age as Trump and Biden. And so we could just, if anyone's got connections, we could just bring them back. Um, the election's not going to be fun, and uh, it's going to... Even if it doesn't affect us in our life here, it will, it will dramatically affect the city and our neighbors, um, the feel, um, the conversations on play. And so it's going to impact us. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps more heartbreaking um, for us is the chaos within the American church that this will just continue to expose. Um, it has not been... Um, encouraging to watch the wider church in America and then to, to, to be a part of the church and have to answer to so many different things. Uh, misinformation continues to be a huge problem. Dangerous divisions have arisen in our culture. There are real threats of political violence on both sides. Um, I heard an interview recently from Russell Moore at Christianity Today, and he said, that while he has great hopes for the American church in 10 years, he believes the next five years will be incredibly difficult. And so given that prediction, how will we as citizens like weather this storm? Um, how will we, following Jesus in San Francisco, successfully navigate 2024? How will we preserve the purity of this place that we love? How will we maintain our unity, our faith and witness? Could we even strengthen in a year like this? According to Jesus in Matthew 7, it is not the size of the house which secures its future. It is not the style of the house that makes the difference. It will be our foundation which keeps us safe. Matthew 7, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In the past five years or so, we have witnessed a lot of very impressive houses fall. Uh, and great was the fall of it. Um, I have cried many tears um, over the state of the church. Uh, people that I used to have such tremendous respect for that have grown almost unrecognizable. Um, before the storm, man, looking at these houses from the outside, you would have never thought it could have fallen. People and institutions who had prophesied in the name of Christ, cast out demons, performed mighty works in his name. These huge structures, beautiful ministries, good works, just gone. 
a birthright exchanged for a lousy bowl of political porridge. And we are not huge, but smallness won't protect us. Um, Sometimes I can be tempted to think that. It's easy to presume that trends out there won't reach us because we're tiny. Um, But that's not true. We live in this world too and are just as vulnerable to the cultural weather. So how will we survive the storm when it comes, if it comes? It's an important question. Uh, We're small, but we're valuable. Uh, We're important. Um, I had a pastor, it was so meaningful to me, a pastor tell me recently how Citizens is important to the spiritual ecosystem of San Francisco. Um, San Francisco requires so many different kinds of churches, and one of the kinds of churches, one of the churches that needs to be here is, is ours. And selfishly, too, I love this church. I'm also employed by this church. <laughs> um, but God has built citizens into a beautiful house. It's warm and welcoming and kind and wise and strong. It's interesting with so many different personalities and giftings and backgrounds and perspectives. And so as we continue to build out our home here, as we make space and invite others in, let us not forget the important things, the important thing. And so my word for this year to you and me is Jesus' word to his disciples in Matthew 7. Whatever you do, whatever we do, let's make sure to continue to build our life on the rock. And what is the rock? It is the word of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. Only those who build their lives on this word will stand. And so whatever you do, whatever we do, let us commit to hearing and believing and practicing the words of Jesus this year and always. Jesus' exhortation comes at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount. A major theme that runs through Jesus' sermon concerns spiritual wholeness. And so to be holy is to be whole, uh, purely devoted to God inside and out. And so this is in contrast with the Pharisees, whose commitment to God was only skin deep. Jesus calls for a heart-deep devotion. And so here in Matthew 7, again, the contrast is not between the appearance or outside construction of the homes. These two houses, in fact, might have been identical above ground. They may have looked exactly the same. Indeed, uh, Pennington, Jonathan Pennington adds, one can imagine the foolish one's house being possibly much more attractive and embellished. Even as the Pharisees' fasting and almsgiving and praying practices were complete with long tassels and lengthy public pontifications. But the difference between the house person that withstands the storm and the one that does not is at the hidden level of the foundation, the unseen but essential starting point, which is why the differences aren't revealed until the storm comes. Um, And that's why the storm comes, to reveal the unseen. As Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. Uh, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. Um, 
we cannot build this house in two different places at once. As much as we might think we can do that on Christ and money, on Christ and power, on Christ and public approval, security, growth. A holy church is built decidedly on Jesus alone. That's what holiness means. It does not mean a perfect church, but it means a single-minded church. What will this year and every year reveal about citizens? What will this year reveal about you and me? Um, I was super encouraged by a conversation last month uh, with Mike. Uh, we were getting breakfast and, and, and talking about the next season of our church's life. And, and he said to me that in thinking about citizens in 2024, that his heart's focus was on our holiness, that that's what he kept thinking about was the holiness of the church and the righteousness of the church. That whatever comes, um, whatever plans and changes and details of our church, that we would be righteous. And what a gift. Um, I mean, literally, in 20 years of ministry, no one has ever said that to me. That that, when they think about a church's future, that is what they are focused on. May our devotion, may our activities, may our community, life together, if it is anything, let it be holy. Let it be righteous, committed to the words of Christ. How will we get there? How will we stay there? A uh, second theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount and, and evident here is the importance of practicing faith. Uh, wholeness means that our behavior matches our beliefs, and so it's talking about the heart, but it's talking about the hearts matching um, our behavior. And so again, both houses in Jesus's parable are on the surface Christian houses. He's not contrasting a Christian person with a pagan person. Um, he is contrasting the one who hears Jesus's words and does them. And the one who hears Jesus' word and does nothing. So Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And that is interesting because immediately prior to this, Jesus dismisses some Christian works. And so in the parable before this, uh, Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And th this is apparently the story of, of so many Christian leaders who have fallen so ingloriously in the past decade. And so what deeds then is Jesus talking about? if he's not talking about Christian deeds like prophecy and healing and mighty works. Well, based on the parable and the wider Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about secret deeds, the quiet acts of faith which live under the surface of our lives. That's why the Sermon on the Mount highlights doing good works in secret, secret generosity, where your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing, secret fasting, 
secret prayer. Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The secret disciplines of our lives make up the foundation of the house. They themselves are not the rock, but they are the closest thing to the rock. They are our best diagnostic because the only reason to do them is faith, because there's no earthly reward to doing them. No one else sees them. No one else is able to reward us for them. We do these works in faith, believing God who sees in secret will reward us. And so in Jesus' vision, in his image, the public deeds are the house that everyone sees. Maybe it's a cute ranch house. Maybe it's a grand Victorian. Maybe it's just a shack. Who knows what the house looks like. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the size and style of the house are not what's important. And truly, as we seek to live out our life together as a church— The arrangement of citizens is entirely up to us, working within our means, personalities, gifts, opportunities, limitations. Like We can build this out um, into all kinds of styles. We get to make this how God made us to make it. Uh, That freedom is what makes citizens so beautiful. It was uh, the message in last year's sermon on spiritual gifts. What will citizens' house be like? And it's a, it's a fun thing to dream about and think about. Will it be big or small, formal or informal, ornate or simple? There's so much freedom in how we build the house. There is no freedom in where we build it. None. It must be built on the rock of Christ or it won't last. If we are to survive, and not just as an institution, um, our church will have a life cycle. Um, None of the churches that I tell people, none of the churches that Paul planted are still in existence uh, today, but the church exists. And if the church is to exist, if we are to exist as part of the church, not just as an institution, but essentially, salvifically, eschatologically, our lives must be built on the words of Christ. We must be hearers and doers of Jesus' words. Hearers and doers of the scriptures, of the creed, of the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. Our life together must be built on the Psalms and the Prophets, on the history and wisdom books, on the Beatitudes, the fruits of the Spirit, the apostolic faith, on the seasons of the church and the teachings of her saints. And not just on our hearing these words, reciting them every Sunday like we recited the creed today, but on our hearing and practicing them. Belief, which leads to practice. Practice, which leads to conformity. Conformity, which leads to virtue and authenticity. And not just any practice, but especially the quiet, invisible, only God sees this practice. And that is the gift Um, a gift of being a small church in the city of San Francisco. Because in a real way, most of what we do, only God sees. A handful of people and God, that's it. Uh, And that's good for our souls. But in a tumultuous year, even as a small church, it will be tempting for me, and, and maybe for you, to focus more energy on what our faith means for our public life than on what our faith means for our private life, 
our personal life. And that gets following Jesus backwards. Um, It's not that public faith isn't important. It's vitally important, especially in chaotic times. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us to be the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is important that we shine in San Francisco, but if our public faith is the light of the world. Our private faith is the flame which gives rise to the light. Without the flame, there is no light. And so we must devote energy to cultivating and preserving and protecting the flame of our devotion to Jesus. That's what it means by wholeness in the Sermon on the Mount, this vital connection between flame and light, seed and fruit, heart and treasure. If we want to be a light, we must protect the flame. In the first months of the pandemic back in 2020, when houses of worship um, across the country were shuttered, Uh, There was a quote uh, from Rabbi Hirsch uh, making its round among Jewish communities, and then it it kind of bled over into Christian spaces as well. And Rabbi Hirsch is the man who founded Orthodox Judaism in Germany in the 19th century, and he is quoted to have said, If I had the power, I would provisionally close all synagogues for a hundred years. Do not tremble at the thought of it, Jewish heart. What would happen? Jews and Jewesses without synagogues desiring to remain Jews would be forced to concentrate on a Jewish life and a Jewish home. And Jewish officials connected with the synagogue would have to look to the only opportunity now open to them to teach young and old how to live a Jewish life and how to build a Jewish home. All synagogues closed by Jewish hands would constitute the strongest protest against the abandonment of Torah in home and life. Um, And so Rabbi Hirsch here, by sort of dreaming uh, of uh, a hundred-year pause in public life, he's not only highlighting the importance of personal devotion and personal faith, but also how hard it is to maintain personal devotion alongside public faith, because public faith tends to get most of our attention. Um, it, it, It... sucks away our focus and it crowds out and uh, sometimes starves the personal. That's why separatist movements happen, is because it's so hard to live in the in-between. Neglect the personal, though, the public becomes incredibly vulnerable. And so reflecting on this passage during the epidemic, um, there was a Jewish writer um, and he noticed the difference between the things he did as a Jewish man and the things he did because he was Jewish. And so what what do we mean here and, and how does this relate to us? This year, we might be asked by friends and neighbors and family, our thoughts and feelings as a Christian. We might be asked what we think about politics and war and race, and crime, and homelessness, and sexuality, and technology, about the future, what we think 
as Christians, what we are going to do as Christians. But if we are to be prepared to answer as Christians, let us prioritize the invisible things we do because we're Christian. Those are the things that will feed our um, answers. First Peter 3.15, it says, it is only when we honor in our hearts Christ the Lord as holy, secretly, deeply, fully, that we will be prepared to make a defense to those who ask for us the reason for the hope that is in us. And so in our hearts, let us honor Christ the Lord as holy. At the beginning of the year, lots of us are making resolutions and setting goals. Um, Maggie and I have given us all of Jan- we've given ourselves all of January to decide on them just because it felt like too much. Uh, we didn't have the space and we were too tired in Christmas. Um, but this year, um, a year that we will be questioned and that we will experience our own questions about what we should be doing as Christians. Um, it will be vitally important that we commit ourselves to do those things because we're Christians. Uh, pursuing personal rhythms of faith, which root us to the gospel of Christ. And so that is scripture and prayer on a daily rhythm, worship and community on a weekly rhythm, fasting and feasting on an annual rhythm with the church calendar, uh, rhythms which will mostly go unseen by others, just our simple life together, um, but will root our faith in the word of Christ and support us through storms. Uh, This is why our church values annual rhythms like the story of God, following the church calendar, preaching through books of the Bible, a fairly simple church life. These simple practices provide a secure foundation, and then on that foundation, built on the rock of the gospel, we can and have built and furnished a beautiful home, and we can continue to do that. But we must not neglect the foundation. Each of us are responsible for protecting and cultivating our own quiet places with Jesus, nurturing our faith under the surface. And so as you think about the next year, um, what are a few simple ways you can respond to the word of Christ? You can not only hear his words, but practice them, put them into practice. Uh, Maybe you read a book of the Bible each month. Um, and just work through it, or or maybe just a paragraph in the Gospels per day, uh, meditating on it. Maybe you memorize a passage of Scripture, Psalm 23 or Romans 8. We took Trinity to um, Six Flags, and she realized that she's now scared of heights, and she wasn't before. And uh, but she said on the like Wonder Woman ride that she was just saying the uh, Psalm twenty three, "The Lord is my shepherd," over and over again, <laughs> which is precious and sweet. Um, can we memorize Psalm twenty three? Because uh, this year is going to be a roller coaster, <laughs> where we can just say, "The Lord is my shepherd," over and over again. Um, maybe you skip a meal a week and pray through the Lord's prayer instead. Um, and take that time. And it's something that no one will see. Um, It won't immediately help you in the questions of the day, but it will ground you in the conviction that Christ is good and true and beautiful. And it will support you in in any storm. Um, It might be easiest uh, instead to just line up with citizen stuff. 
uh, follow the church calendar. We try to practice Lent and Holy Week and um, Pentecost and all the rest, uh, fast during Lent, celebrate during Easter, read the Gospel of John when we're back into that, dig into Sabbath and evangelism. Whatever you do, there's so much freedom here. Um, Do not neglect the small, below-the-surface places of faith and life together. Uh, And when you fail, when we fail, as I have already done this week in my um, commitments, uh, we get to glory in the grace of repentance and beginning again. Um, Because, again, it's, it's not the foundation we lay which saves us. It's the place we put the foundation. And if in our weakness, the only thing you are able to put there, we are able to put there is a shack, a tent, that's okay. We'll be safe. And the thing is, too, the remarkable thing is, in a storm, even a shack is an appealing place to someone outside in the storm. And so within our like simple, humble offerings, like we can meaningfully invite people to join us. If this year is as bonkers as it looks to be, that means we're going to have lots of opportunity to welcome people in from the cold, uh, to provide shelter, to provide a warm meal and a listening heart, to share with them God's grace and his kindness about Jesus' death and resurrection and the promise of his return, to give hope that can't be found anywhere else. There is room here. During the flood in Genesis 6 and 7, there was only room for eight people, just eight people, and everyone else was outside. In the Old Covenant, there was room for one family tree, Abraham and his children, one tiny nation. But with Jesus, there's so much room. There's always room on the rock. Our home may not be grand or massive or impressive, but there is always room here, and it is lovely. Let's keep it lovely, let's keep it safe, and let's invite everyone who's outside in. I want to close by reading the Beatitudes um, and praying over them. I feel like the Beatitudes really capture the holiness uh, that he is commending and that we are after. Um, And so I want uh, to read them over our year. And so I encourage you, um, I'll give a moment of of silence before, um, and then we'll read them slowly and just to listen uh, with hope and uh, purpose and prayer over our church that we would embody and receive the blessing Um, on offer here. And so uh, I'll give you a moment of silence and then read. Matthew 5, verse 2. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Dear Father, if our one goal, hope and prayer, was to live out the Beatitudes, that would be enough. It would be enough for our efforts because they're so huge um, and baffling. I am humbled by them and intimidated by them. But they would also be enough for our joy. There is enough here to keep us safe, to keep us delighted, to give us abundance. And so we pray the Beatitudes over Citizens Church in 2024. Would we be people who are poor in spirit? Would we be people who are merciful, peacemakers, would we hunger and thirst for righteousness so that no matter what we choose to do in the details, and we'll have to make lots of decisions in the details, but that underneath it, we would have a deep desire for righteousness, for holiness, for single-minded devotion to you. Give us this hunger because then we'll be satisfied. You promised to satisfy. If this is our prayer, then you will answer it. You will give us the desires of our heart. And so I pray that we would be people with holy desires, pure desires. Uh, give us conviction. Uh, give us peace grounded in the invisible and quiet and small practices of faith. Uh, and give us opportunity uh, in that uh, place to give a reason for the hope that we have, the joy that we have, to invite people in uh, with confidence, uh, to speak boldly uh, to a world that is so confused and so uh, broken and sad and angry. Um, would we um, be a light in this city? Uh, thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you that um, this is something that you 
do in us, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this faith is not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. And so we thank you for the gift of faith. We ask for more of it. Um, help us believe this every day, all year, um, and help us encourage one another in faith. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.